grace is yours. Peace is yours. Forgiveness, life, and salvation are yours. All gifts guaranteed to you in the word of our Savior God, friends. Amen. I'm going to start off this morning by telling a story about my kids. And sometimes that feels stereotypical, right? Young pastor with young kids illustrates everything with stories about said kids. But raising our kids is just a, a huge part of our lives right now. Our mission and my family are the two things to which I dedicate the most time daily. And so when I'm writing a message and thinking about these illustrations from daily life, family life comes to mind. So here's another kid story. Both our kids are of that age where month to month they're able to do more and more. We can ask them to pick something up, get us something from the next room, put their plates on the counter. They can take an active role in their daily routines and they appreciate their increasing independence. Now, One of the things Eliana particularly enjoys, which she's now capable of doing, is squeezing her own toothpaste. She's learned the right amount of light pressure to squeeze out a usable amount of toothpaste without sending it everywhere. She's very proud of this skill, and when I forget to let her exercise that skill, when I take that little part of the nighttime routine away because I forget, or I'm in a hurry, or whatever, she lets me know. She doesn't want this privilege to be taken away. Now I think of this because of the particular words Jesus chooses at the end of our gospel reading. His precise wording struck me. You've got Mary there, sitting listening to him. You've got Martha working, preparing, serving, getting irritated. Martha finally comes in and says to Jesus, get my sister to come help me. I wish we had a little more detail about this scene, what exactly happened there. Okay, We know Martha didn't yell from the kitchen. She came over to Jesus, our text says, uh, stood near him. But that's where I wish we had more detail. Did Martha say this in front of everyone, trying to call Mary out? Did she whisper this to Jesus, exasperated, but aware that it wouldn't be right to put Mary on the spot. And how did Jesus reply, right? Does he announce this to the whole room? Or as he says, Martha, Martha, is that face-to-face, compassionate, right? Gentle, but still firm. I wish we had those details. I wish we had that to flesh this out, and we don't. But we do have Jesus' words. And again, it's his words there at the end that strike me. Verse 42, what Mary has chosen will not be taken away from her. Now, right before those words, our Bible translation here has Jesus saying, Mary has chosen what is better. But literally, though, Jesus' words there don't mean better. I think our Bible translation here, the NIV English translation, is reading a little more into Jesus' words there than he means to say. What Jesus says, this whole last phrase in verse 42 is more literally translated, uh, Mary has chosen something good, and what she's chosen will not be taken away from her. It's those words that make me think of nighttime routines and toddlers and toothpaste. Those words make me think of privileges, responsibilities being taken away. What Mary's chosen, it won't be taken away. What Martha's chosen, the same may not be true. Let's think about what it is that both of these sisters chose. Martha, uh, first, she chose to serve. She chose to use her, her gifts, her talents, time to serve her Savior and his followers. And this is a good and noble thing she does. Again, I don't think it's quite correct for the NIV Bible to use the word better where it does, because what Mary has chosen is not inherently better, necessarily, nor is what Martha has chosen inherently worse. But Jesus notes that there is a difference in these two things. Here it is. Only one won't be taken away. So Martha chose to serve. Okay, a good, noble, loving thing, an important thing, but a thing that will be taken away from her one day. And this is something Jesus knew she needed to hear. Martha, you won't always be able to serve. 
No matter what your gifts, your abilities are now, you won't always have them or be able to use them. A time will come when the thing that you chose to do, did for years, took care of, took pride in, is taken away from you. Martha served the church, served her Lord, served his disciples, and there's a specific application of this text then to service in the church. Whether you're a pastor or a board member or a volunteer, someday what you do in service to the Lord and his people will be taken away from you. I don't imagine I'll be pastoring until I die. It's a privilege, a responsibility that I enjoy and treasure now, but it will be taken away from me. It's a hard thing to consider. This thought that service which we offer to our Lord is something that we won't get to do forever. But considering it forces us to recognize something about service to our God in his church. It's not really for him. He does not need our service. Did the God who fed the 5,000 need Martha to serve him in her house? No. But as she served him, she served her neighbors. In that particular instance, her neighbors were his disciples, maybe some of the family who was gathered there that day, this group of brothers and sisters of hers in the Savior. This is why those things that we do in service in the church ultimately are taken away from us because they're not something that we're doing for God, right? They're not something that we're doing because we have to please God. These are things that we do for our neighbors as we're capable. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbors do. And eventually we all face the reality that our time of useful service to other bodily human beings in a particular way has to come to an end. Changes in technology, changes in culture can move a ministry that we once engaged in past our abilities. Another ministry can grow under someone's care over decades to the point that one day it outgrows them. And again, there will be a time when I as a pastor simply won't be able to get out and about to make visits on people, to be on hand for midnight calls. I'll be the one who needs to be visited. I'll be the one who makes midnight calls. Martha served the church, and we can apply this text as we just did to serving in the church, but there are an uncountable number of things in our lives which one day may also be taken from us, things in which we can find meaning and joy as we do them now, but things which will not last. So one day, children grow up. And a parent who's not ready for that, not ready for their children to leave the nest, to build their own lives, can be devastated by that change. Something's being taken away from them. Our work, especially for Americans, right, provides a large sense of our personal identity and our purpose. But one day, work does end. And maybe it's a retirement that we meet with celebration and relief, but sometimes our work ending comes earlier, unexpectedly, reluctantly, maybe only after some frank conversations. And something in which we took identity and pride and purpose is taken away from us. A marriage can, should be a source of that kind of identity, purpose, but sometimes in this life, perhaps through sin, perhaps through death, only in those two ways, uh, those relationships end. They're taken away. In this text, Jesus counsels Martha, Martha, Don't find your identity, your value, in something that you're doing right now, but will not be able to do forever. 
Doing that is a recipe for late-life heart disease. Not a physical ailment, but a spiritual one. The symptoms look like this. Malcontentedness, jealousy, anger. Anger at those people who took away your role, your identity, your purpose. You know what? Ultimately, all of that is anger at the God who has cruelly subjected you to the ravages of time. How dare that God let the years go by? How dare that God give and take away? Doesn't that God know how much he needs you? Oh, no. Well, Martha chose that day was a good, noble thing, but Jesus looked into her heart and saw she needed to be reminded this will be taken away one day, and if there's something in your life that your Savior can look into your heart and see that you can't live without doing, hear him say your name two times, gentle, loving, firm. Tim, Tim, do what is good as you are able, but find your identity in the one needful thing, what Mary chose, this thing that won't be taken away. We haven't yet talked about what exactly that is. All right, let's go to verse 39 of the reading. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. This one needful thing is this relationship with Jesus, created by meditating on the word of Jesus, created as you hear law and gospel preached to you, created as you're cut open and sewn back up by those words. And this is more than a Sunday morning thing. Because Sunday morning can so, so easily become for us a day on which we all put on our Martha hats, right? And we busily, busily bustle, and we talk church business, and we take care of this and that and the other thing. And then one day the time comes that those things are taken away from us. We don't have that Sunday morning role anymore. Maybe we don't even have the ability to regularly join the body of believers in worship as our physical mobility is taken away from us. And we find that we've not developed the ability to sit in our home with our Savior to be served by him. That's what your Savior wants to do. As he said to the disciples before Holy Week, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. When we gather on Sunday mornings, he's present not to be served, but still to serve, just as he was then, just as he says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am, there he is, serving you with his gospel, with the message of your sins atoned for, the message of forgiveness won at his cross, that powerful message, it restores your weary spirit, it strengthens you for life now and into eternity. But again, it doesn't happen here on Sunday morning only. Christ, who makes himself present among his assembled people, makes himself present to you in his word at home. As you sip your morning coffee or drink your evening tea, Bible in hand, whatever that looks like for you. And if you don't have a personal habit like that yet, a personal habit of sitting with your Savior and hearing his word and know that you want to nourish it, let me give you three concrete tools this morning. So one, at the back of church, we've got some resources there to give you regular Bible reading structure. One, the Forwarding Christ magazine. I mention that usually every month when the new issue comes out. There's another one that maybe I don't highlight as much. This is this little booklet, the Meditations Devotional. Uh, these come out quarterly. They have three months worth of devotions plus a Bible reading plan built into them. If we run out, you just tell me. I'm going to start ordering more. Uh, two, I put together a basic Bible reading guide I call Reading Grace. It's a 20-page ebook that gets emailed to anyone who signs up on our mailing list. Now, everyone here, if I'm not mistaken, is already on that list, but if you'd like that ebook, just let me know. I can print it off for you. And then three, 
last tool for you this morning. Uh, next month in August, I'm making plans to start a new Bible Foundations course, what we sometimes call BIC. And there's a Bible reading component in that class. Whether you're new here or not, I'd love to have you in that class. If you're thinking about all those things, thinking about being more in the Word of God, wanting to do that, let Jesus motivate you, move you the way he motivated moved Martha with these words. Martha, what Mary has chosen won't be taken away. There's your motivation to be in the Word. Your motivation to be in the Word is not the need to please God, okay? You can't please Him any more than in Christ you already do. Right? Again, that's what we've been talking about all this morning. God doesn't need your good works. God doesn't need you to serve Him on Sunday morning. God doesn't need you to be in the Word. It's for Him to serve you. You already please our Savior God, friends. You are already what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians a pleasing aroma to God because you are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful, striking metaphor, right? That God smells us and is delighted by us. In our reading from Colossians this morning, Paul says it this way, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, right? All accomplished facts, rescued, brought into the kingdom, claimed by his beloved Son, that's you, it's those promises, that assurance that leads us into the word. Not threats, but promises. Jesus tells Martha, this thing won't be taken away. That's a promise. So you can lose your role at work. Your family can grow and move out. You could lose your independence one day. So right now, right now, grab on to something that will not be taken away. Take scripture into your heart. Write these words of Jesus' grace onto every fold of your brain. This won't be taken away. Not in this life, where we hear his words on the pages of scripture, and not into eternity, because there we'll still gather around him, sitting at his feet, hearing him face to face. We'll get to sit next to Martha and Mary and forever be served by our Savior God. Amen.